Business is absolutely not a marathon. If you're just kind of slowly and steadily running through this journey that is going to be your startup for however many years, you're going to get blown up. You're either going to just get so exhausted because you have no breaks and you're just consistently draining your energy or every other person around you who's a founder in your space that's sprinting towards various opportunities is going to beat you. And I actually just found this recently, but the idea is that you see an opportunity, you sprint towards it with all your energy. Once you've captured that opportunity, take a minute, reestablish, reprioritize what's going on, and then scope for your next opportunity. You can use this time to take some rest. And by rest, like you never take your mind off the business. But once again, it's like, okay, just take a step back and reevaluate. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our leadership, develop our teams and scale our business in a way that allows us to get our products and services out to the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamder, your host. On today's episode, we have Mark LaFleur. Mark started out building three businesses from the ground up. And he has a real deep understanding of what it takes to succeed in today's competitive business landscape. He's the co-founder and former CEO of True Local. He built it into a team of over 60 people. He expanded across Canada and the U.S. and successfully led to its $16.7 million acquisition, all within five years. Give me some of that. Most recently, Mark celebrated the launch of his first book with Forbes. As the author, True Founder, the subtitle, What No One Else Has the Guts to Teach You About Starting Your First Business. And as the time of this recording, it actually is just coming out today. And so I know he is really excited about that. You're definitely going to want to pick it up. The first time I heard Mark uh, uh, was on the Built to Sell podcast. I actually mentioned this to him. Just a tremendous amount of experience. I love hearing the stories of entrepreneurs, of small business owners, how they got started, how they got to where they are. Hence why the very first question we always ask on our Monday interviews is, tell me your background and origin story. I think it's fascinating to see how people kind of got to where they are today. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Mark LaFleur. Have you ever tried online marketing before and weren't sure if it was working? Maybe your rep talked about all the impressive features and stats and said things were going great, but you didn't know how all that tied into raw new policies written. Well, that's not the case with DirectClicks. DirectClicks is the premier Google ads and SEO option exclusively for State Farm agents. Why? They're 100% resource-oriented with an exclusivity guarantee. Every review call you have with your account manager focuses on what really matters to your business, and that's leads and call-ins received. Everything will get broken down to cost per lead received. By investing with direct clicks, you're going to free up time and energy to focus on what's most important in your agency and doing what it is you do best. This will be the best investment you make for your team by spending confidently and scaling your agency today with exclusive online marketing partner, Direct Clicks. Visit us at directclicksinc.com. Ambition is the first step towards success. It's time to level up your agency. 
And Coach P Consulting will help you do just that by using the same strategies he used to sell over 700 life insurance policies in 2021 alone. Now, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look behind the scenes of his team training and an office that's performing at the highest level. There's a reason Coach P Consulting is the fastest growing coaching company for insurance agency owners in the country. Coach P will train your team alongside his own and show you the exact steps they're taking to achieve Chairman Circle, Exotic Travel, and Multi-Line Presence Club and be one of the few agents to be selected to have a third office. So whether your goal is to be at the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and the tactics to get there. For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level, and his strategies work, and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at coachpeakconsulting.com and get your first full month for free when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Martin LaFleur, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, happy to be here. Man, I am pumped to have you. So before we hit record, I was telling you about kind of how I came across you. One of my favorite podcasts I listened to is John Werlow, Built to Sell. And your story just came out not long ago on that episode. And I said, man, I've got to get Mark on this podcast. He's got so many good nuggets to be able to share with our listening audience. And so I'm going to ask a big, broad question, okay? And it's tough, so take as much time as you need. But tell a little bit about your story, your background, kind of how you got to where you are today and just your journey with True Local. Yeah. So, you know, my story's got your typical peaks and valleys, but really started off, you know, bad student. I was failing out of grade nine and 10. I mean, I think it was like I was probably one class or one suspension away from completely failing out and not coming back to grade 11, but eventually turned things around, started playing football got into the University of Waterloo. And it's funny because I went there because I wanted to be a dentist in like first year. And then as soon as I got my grades back after first year, I realized that was never going to happen. So I'm like, okay, all right, let's try to figure something out. And then didn't really think about my future again until probably third year, you know, just kind of living that university life. And the thing about the University of Waterloo is it's one of the only universities in Canada that has a co-op program. So it's a very entrepreneurial university, and they actually have quite a few accelerators and incubators on campus. So yes. me never having any business background, you know, once again, grew up in a small town, didn't have a lot of money. I thought pretty much you were going to university to use your degree in like 10 different fields, maybe. I didn't know you could start your own business and start your own companies. So the University of Waterloo definitely opened my eyes to entrepreneurship and what it's like to be a founder. And then I just fell in love. Like I said, I was a bad student and I was a bad employee also. I always say it wasn't ever because of my output, but it was, I always like to ask a lot of questions. And when you're the type of person who likes to ask a lot of questions, you start realizing how a lot of businesses, especially more of your legacy businesses or on the complete opposite side of that, just, I guess, kind of like the mom-stop-paw lifestyle businesses that grow to maybe on like 10 million and then just kind of stay there. They don't really like when you ask a bunch of questions. So bad employee, bad student, and entrepreneurship ended up being the thing where it was like, okay, wait a minute. You're telling me that I can go start my own business and I can take whatever ideas I have in my head and I can double down on them and I'll take all the reward, but I can carry all the risk. And it's just like this sense of ownership. It was really important to me. And that was kind of the beginning of the end. In third year, I guess it was, came up with an instant messaging app idea called Tell. 
And it was pretty much just Snapchat, but for messaging. And this would have been in 2012-ish. So this was before they even had texting for it. That ended up failing. That crashed and burned. So then went on to the next one, which was Dash Task. And Dash Task was actually an interesting one because it was when TaskRabbit was really taking off. And it was kind of this idea of the sharing economy. So you've pretty much got a community. So, you know, you've got this defined community and the sharing economy, at least in the way that we were looking at it, referenced the ability for the community to share resources amongst each other for mutual gain. So whether it's trading time for money, trading money for time, that was the premise. And we wanted to take it and put it into a niche market, which would have been universities. So did that made it further than we did with tell but that ended up failing also because i couldn't raise any cash because i didn't know anything about business so smart investors were like no we're not going to fund you and i would have to agree that that was probably the right call at the time and then in addition to that though my co-founder got recruited to google so game over but then you know what they say right there are times of charm i started looking uh, uh- Hold on just a second. Hold on just a second. I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I have to ask before we get way down the line of what's coming, because I know what's coming. Where do you think that that idea to just keep going? So for some people, they you tell didn't work out and you got so fired up around entrepreneurship. Some people would have that first product not work out. And then they're like, never mind. I'm done. I'm done with this. I mean, do you think maybe your sports background playing football, which by the way, what, what position did you play? I played DB, so I was a corner. Okay, cool. We're big football people down here. Oh, yeah. Uh, no doubt. I see that helmet in the background there. Yeah, for sure. So where do you think that that stick the resiliency came from in you to just keep going? Yeah, it's funny. Those are always the questions I hate the most because I still to this day have not yet been able to really, really kind of articulate what it is. Like when people ask, why do you keep going or what motivates you? These are like tough questions because I think at the end of the day, it's so many different things. Like you've got this giant cauldron of personality traits, of environmental factors, of experiences that have happened, and they all get put into this cauldron in specific amounts. And then you kind of stir all of it together and it leads to these results of who you are as a person. But what I can definitely say, some of the things to that is, A, I was naive. I didn't know any better. Like to me, I assumed I was going to fail a couple of times. Like it wasn't like I was going to go have to go knock it out of the park. It was me and my roommates with no skills in business, taking all of our student loan money and putting it together to build an app. I don't even know if we expected to succeed. I think we obviously wanted to, but I figured there'd be a couple of hiccups along the way. So just kind of being naive. But then also at the end of the day, like I came from no money, right? Like we had all of our basics taken care of, but we were definitely on like the bottom level of where when I was going to school, a lot of kids had a lot more money than I did. And a lot of people always counted me out. So I always say this, I'm like, when you came from adversity, when you came from being told no more often than not, and you came from being counted out, you're not scared of hard work. Like you work hard in general. All you want is an opportunity to show people how hard you can work. But when you don't come from anything, those opportunities are very few and far between. So I find on the flip side, when you come from some sort of privilege or you come from an affluent family, you've got opportunity everywhere. They're offering you summer job. They're getting you the opportunity to make some cash on the side. They're giving you opportunity to go to different universities. And really what ends up happening is you start fearing the hard work instead, because Mm. you can work hard at anything because you've got all the opportunities. So you're like, I just don't want to do that now because I don't care about it or whatever. Whereas on the flip side, once again, if you've only got one to three opportunities in your life, 
that are going to be like, this is the chance for you to show what you've got. You're going to work your ass off for that. So that's just one of the things that I noticed. And once again, like kind of circling back to this idea of when I realized that entrepreneurship was even an option, that almost opened up unlimited opportunity for me because I didn't have to wait for other people to give me that opportunity. I didn't have to wait for someone to give me a job interview or, or give me the job to then go prove it. Or I didn't have to wait to, you know, for football season to start for an opportunity to get on the field and show them what I could do. Right. It was in business at the end of the day, you might start small, but you have all the opportunity in the world. So I think that like, once again, you take all that, throw it into a cauldron and stir it all together. And what came out was two failures and a success. That's awesome. I appreciate you taking just a couple of minutes to riff on that, because I mean, I think that those are the things that oftentimes we hear the success and we hear the big exit, the company that sold for 5 million, 10 million, whatever it may be. And yet it was like, yeah, well, sometimes we almost gloss over the failures and like, yeah, but for a lot of people, they, they have those failures and they're like, forget it. It's just not for me. Small business, not for me. Entrepreneurship is not for me. I mean, at least in the States, the stats that I've done some research on, 96% of small businesses fail, never see their 10th birthday. 96% never see their 10th birthday. It's like, holy smokes. I mean, that is a lot of failure to go through. I would think to that, I think those stats are probably high, like 96% make it to year 10. I thought it was something like, even like 80% don't make it to like year two or something like that. I feel like at 96%. And I guess one of the things too, I always did say this, and this kind of goes back to the opportunity thing, but like people will say a one in a million chance. I don't know why, but I love those odds. I like that. Like you're telling me there's a one in a million chance I could do this extravagant thing. And you know, even if you bring it down to like one in 10,000, like if there's a one in 10,000% chance that you can go live out your dreams, like I look at that as like, sweet, yeah, I'm taking those odds. So situations like that, yeah, if you tell me four out of 100 have mm-hmm. a chance of making it, I'm like, yeah, I'll take those odds any day of the week for sure. Yeah. Cool. That's great mindset. All right, so pick it up. So we had those two launches. Your founder takes a job with Google. Your co-founder takes a job with Google. Where does it go from there? Yeah, so that was the end of Dash Task. And then at the time, I was doing door-to-door meat sales uh, just to help pay the bills. You know, just university is expensive, housing is expensive here in Canada. It doesn't help that I was blowing all my my loan money on failed business ideas. <laughs> so I was working four jobs in university, and one of them was door-to-door meat sales. And, and I have no idea how I got into it, but my roommate was like, you know what? You talk really fast. Why don't you give sales a shot? So I had no sales experience no food experience, no meat experience. I'm actually a really picky eater. It's kind of like a running joke at True Local. But I ended up doing really well. The sales world fit me. The door-to-door aspect of it, once again, it never really, it sucks. Like nobody wants to do it. But I came from doing factory work throughout the summers and mowing lawns for low-income housing. To me, this was just another opportunity. So went through it and I was actually there for four years after university um, I eventually I worked my way up, you know, I got into sales and I actually, they gave me the opportunity to open my own branch. So I was like 22 trying to hire like 35 year old sales vets out of a coffee shop, trying to convince them that, Hey, listen, like there's a business here anyway. So I did that for about four years. And during that time, that's when dash task came out. And when it failed, I was kind of looking and being like, like I'm getting traction with these ideas. We're able to develop an app. We're able to get some initial users. Why does it keep failing? And it became pretty clear to me that I was always treating it like a hobby. It was always nights and weekends. I had my full-time job. I was still doing some school stuff on the side. And then nights and weekends, I would work on these projects. So it hit me kind of like a rock that 
if I wanted to find success in business, I needed to treat it like a business and go in full time. And that's sort of where the idea for True Local came about because then I started kind of just doing like a risk reward analysis and saying, okay, I'm willing to take these risks. And I've had this previous, I consider once again, previous success with these, these startups, even though they failed, but just figuring out how to work with the media, figuring out how to build the technology, figuring out how to do marketing campaign, all this type of stuff. So I looked at those as wins. I was like, if I'm going to quit my job, then I need to have a higher level of confidence that this one's going to work out. So instead of looking at all these things I wanted to do, I looked at what I thought I would be good at. And because I was doing door-to-door meat sales for four years, I just saw the opportunities in terms of doing like market research. And they say, talk to your customers. Well, I'm telling you right now for four years, I was in people's homes trying to sell them this product. I knew all the objections. So all I did was research at the time because I didn't know much about it. I just researched e-com, right? So e-commerce was blowing up. Best practices are everywhere. They're 100% transferable from industry. It doesn't matter if you're selling clothing or if you're selling food or if you're selling glasses, whatever. At the end of the day, e-com has a lot of best practices that are out there. So I figured, why don't we take that and bring it into this niche market of locally raised high-end meat products? And that's really where it all began. That was kind of the beginning. And in the early days, it was just about, we wanted to pretty much be like this online butcher shop. But by the time we were done and got acquired, like it changed dramatically. Like it ended up, we were doing software solutions for farmers. We had storefronts, like online storefronts. So you can think like Shopify, but exclusively for producers. And eventually it led to a $16.7 million acquisition five years later. Unbelievable. What a story. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue, increase your bottom line, and better manage your taxes? Club Capital is here to help. Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agents in the country, providing monthly accounting, tax strategy, and CFO services. Way more than bookkeeping and your everyday run-of-the-mill tax prep, Club Capital is focused on providing financial and tax advisory services that help you plan and forecast your agency's performance. Their financial dashboards and agency forecasting tools help you better understand your agency's historical performance, create and measure future targets, and see how your agency compares to your peers around the country. Imagine what it would be like to understand the impact to your bottom line when deciding to hire a new employee or forecast the impact rate changes or commission rates will have on your business. With over $200 million in tracked annual revenue and $140 million in tracked annual expenses, Club Capital has the data and the team to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. They will help you turn that back office stress into the backbone of your agency's success by giving you the tools to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book a solution overview with one of our business consultants. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. You mentioned it's kind of like the resiliency with entrepreneurship, but also you mentioned the four years of being, I love the quote from, you know, what's pulled from Teddy Roosevelt's speech in the arena, you know, the man in the arena, you were in the arena for four years, learning and hearing all of these objections to the people about the product. So it's not like you just went into and sell, oh, fresh meat being delivered is going to be a a hot thing. Let me try to capitalize on that and learn everything. You were already in it for that many years and then use that learning. So just recent or soon to come out, actually, from the time of this recording, you wrote the book, True Founder. And before we hit record, you said, this is the book that I wish that I had. And I can relate to that so much is that for a lot of things that I do, 
I told some people the other day, I'm patient zero. Like I build things that I wish I had. Like I need this. So then I'm going to go build this solution and take all the books and podcasts and other things I've listened to and then say, okay, here's what I need. I don't really love this. I don't really love this, but I'm going to make this thing my own and I become patient zero. So you've kind of obviously codified it all in your book. So can you just talk about kind of what are some of the elements that you say, man, I really wish I'd have had this along the way whenever I started along my journey? Yeah, well, I think right off the bat, the number one thing is expectation. And I feel like that's something that I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And I feel like a lot of people don't. And I feel like if you just had a better grasp on reality of what you're about to go down, you can prepare yourself better. So that way, when some of the punches come at your head in year three and four, where you're really in the trenches, you could just have had more energy because you knew you're like, okay, I understand that I'm going to go through these peaks and valleys. I'm going to go through these challenges and it's normal. Yeah. Because that's the worst part. Like year one and two, when you are literally pushing that boulder up the hill and you feel like you're doing everything wrong because you look around and you don't, of course, right. You look at other founders and all you see is the highlight reel. It's the same as social media, but you're going through so many challenges in the early days that you think that you're doing everything wrong. And I think this book, so this book acts, it's kind of twofold. It's the story of true local, but it's also, you know, 16 chapters on tangible learnings and tips and tricks on how to avoid some of those things. Mm-hmm. And if you can't avoid those things, just different ways to think about them and prepare for them so that when they do show up, you're ready for it. So like right off the bat, I do the first part of the book is all just on mindset stuff. So there are so many people out there that do a lot of things on coaching and mindset. So I didn't want to make an entire book on that, but there's three chapters that just really dive deep into the mindset that if you have these sort of things in the back of your head, when you actually do get into the building phase, it becomes a hell of a lot easier. So that's just like things like, look, like you don't got a job as a founder. Like you don't have a title, you're not a CTO or a CMO. And I hear it all the time. Well, this is my role and that's my role. Good. Congratulations. But at the end of the day, Your job is to be a professional problem solver. That's it. Like, don't even think about anything else and solve the problems that are right in front of you. And that to me would have saved me, honest to God, probably a year on True Local, where I was just trying to fit myself into these specific roles that I thought a founder or I thought a CEO was supposed to do instead of dealing with the problems that are right in front of me and taking pride in developing my problem solving abilities. So that's one Another one, you know, the idea of business being a series of sprints rather than a marathon. Everybody talks about how business is a marathon. Business is absolutely not a marathon. If you're just kind of slowly and steadily running through this journey that is going to be your startup for however many years, you're going to get blown up. You're either going to just get so exhausted because you have no breaks and you're just consistently draining your energy or every other person around you who's a founder in your space that's sprinting towards various opportunities is going to beat you. And I actually just found this recently, but the idea is that you see an opportunity, you sprint towards it with all your energy. Once you've captured that opportunity, take a minute, reestablish, reprioritize what's going on, and then scope for your next opportunity. You can use this time to take some rest. And by rest, like you never take your mind off the business. But once again, it's like, okay, just take a step back and reevaluate. And I think it was Naval Ravikant that had this saying that I just found recently. I feel like I should have known this, but he kind of talks about, you know, be like a lion or market like a lion where it's something like, it's like sleep, wake up, hunt, eat, repeat. Like that's kind of the whole idea. 
And that's a really interesting way to look at it. So that's kind of the first part of the book. And then we kind of start diving into the juicy stuff. So things that are very, I guess, I consider them against the grain, but that worked really well for us. So right off the bat, like hiring friends, everybody says, don't hire friends, do not hire friends. You've got all these issues. And yeah, those are definitely some valid concerns. I'm telling you right now, the best thing you can ever do is hire friends, Mm -hmm. especially in the early days. If you're not funded with $10 million of VC funding, you don't need experience. Like there's a certain value that experience brings. I would say that's maybe like 20 or 30%. What you really need is people that are going to hustle, like people that are going to work their asses off, people that actually care. So people that are reliable, people that you know can hold things down and they'll learn and you can train them along the way for the specific needs of the business. But that's kind of the idea. And I've always said that if you can't work with friends, that's more of a reflection on you than it is on your friends. So our first 10 employees were friends and then friends of friends. And then when the company sold five years later, all of those first 10 employees were still with us. So it's a huge part of what made True Local successful, but kind of getting into it, just other things like I could spend, you know, hours going down, but one that I always like to talk to people about, but same with working with agencies. I find a lot of people get burned a lot with agencies. And when do I hire an agency? Should I hire an agency or hire in-house? How do I find a good agency? How do I structure these agencies? So just working with marketing agencies, development houses, any of these freelancers, I have a whole chapter kind of on how you can negotiate contracts and make it so that you've got alignment rather than either getting preyed upon by some of these agencies or going in so hot and heavy that you just can't get deals with the agencies because you don't really know what the market standard is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So let me go back because I want to go back to the mindset. P7, I want to ask you a few questions around that because I think it's really fascinating. Do you feel like around one of the titles being CPS, Chief Problem Solver, is that there's this mindset of saying instead of uh, resenting the fact that you have problems to deal with, just embracing that, hey, this is a problem. This is my role and this is where I need to be versus, man, I just wish it would be so easy. Like there's a mentor friend of mine. And every time he says this, it's both aspirational and then it really pisses me off. I'm just going to be honest with you. It pisses me off. Okay. And he says, the last eight companies I've launched have hit a million dollar run rate in 12 months. And you're like, doggone it. What in the world? Well, what I want to know, if you don't know his full story, he's got a lot of stuff that happened early years of years of being in the arena where it wasn't working out exactly that way. But when you hear that, you're like, good grief, what am I doing wrong to not be able to launch every company hit a million dollar run rate in 12 months? I mean, I want that type of template, like give me the keys to the success. Does that make sense? So anyway, what are your thoughts around that? Like if you go into business and you think, okay, I know it's going to be hard for a little while, but once I raise some money or once I hire my first employee or any of these other things that you think you'll reach to make it so that it gets easier, if that's your mindset, like don't go into business. because your problems are never going to stop coming. The Mm -hmm. old age old saying, right? More money, more problems. It's like more money in business, more problems, more employees, more problems, more market share, more problems, more SKUs, more problems. Like it doesn't matter. You're always going to have these issues popping up. And that's what I mean. Like it's so much better if you don't take two years to figure that out and come to peace with it. And that's what it took me. Like I remember for the first couple of years being, oh my God, I, I'm sure if I just get past this milestone, the problems will stop, stop coming. And I believed it. You get this mm-hmm. big milestone. And I'm like, okay, things are going to be easier. You start letting your guard down a little bit. Things start slipping through the cracks and then boom, you get punched in the face. 
It's like, oh, okay, it blows up your whole day. It blows up your whole month. It could blow up your whole quarter just because you had this expectation that things were going to get easier. If you go into it knowing that you are nonstop going to have this core trait of being able to solve problems and yeah. you know that there is going to be a problem each and every day to deal with. And if two days goes by with no problems and three days goes by, no problems. Sure. Maybe you appreciate that, but you just know you go to sleep being like, okay, tomorrow could be the day you're going to be in a way better position. So I, I, that's kind of one of it in terms of watching people that kill it. I love it. You know, of course I know what you're saying, right? It's, it's like, you look at them and like, oh man, I want to figure out how you do it, but I love it. I love inspiration. Once again, didn't come from a whole lot. So there weren't a whole lot of people around me winning. So now, fortunately, I get to be in a situation where I always hear how ton of different people are winning in a ton of different ways. And I think it helps me, to be honest, because maybe I don't know that person's exact blueprint, but I now know that it can be done in that way. And if you're lucky and you build relationships, maybe they will tell you how to do it. I get what you're saying. Absolutely. And I think for me now, I think it was actually Kanye that said it. And he's like, uh, having money isn't everything, but not having it is. Until you get to that first win. So whether it's a million bucks for someone, whether it's you know a six-figure salary, whatever you want to call it, until you get to that, you can't help but obsess over things financially because you need to have your basic needs met. And if you don't have your basic needs met, you can't think a week or a quarter or a year ahead. You got to think about, okay, if I don't go into work tomorrow, that's going to affect my paycheck, which means I can't do this, this, that, that. It has to consume you. Whereas, of course... Not everyone's going to get to understand this, but the truth is I'm very financially driven. So money motivates me more than anything else. And I think it's healthy. You know, people are always like, oh, money shouldn't motivate you. Hey, look, worry about yourself. All right, go find something that motivates you. I know what motivates me and it's great. But once you get the money, the truth is the money doesn't matter as much because the money at the end of the day just gives you opportunities and it gives you the ability to do what you want. But the new problem you run into is what do you do when you can do anything? So I'm sure a lot of your listeners are going to go off to be very successful. And I would challenge them early on to say, hey, once you get to the money, because you know what's coming, you're going to have a new challenge of what do you want to work on? Because if you've got that big win, you could go into anything. So where I was going with this is that, you know, fortunately now kind of in this position, I get to hang around people that are doing things successfully. And, you know, there's a lot of different tips and tricks. And the craziest thing is I've seen people win in every industry. I've seen it mom, pa, lifestyle companies win. I've seen the venture back companies win. I've seen the e-com companies, the brick and mortar companies, the arbitrage companies, the SaaS companies. Like I've seen the consultants win. I've seen every possible win out there. And what you just realize is that there's no right way to do this. It's just pick what you want to do, find a little opportunity and then execute better than anybody else. But I promise you, there is not one revenue stream that is so crazy that it hasn't been thought of yet and also been exploited, aka someone has gone and absolutely crushed it in that weird way of making money. So that gets me excited. You know, I like that. You know, there's um, if you give somebody seven days, pick a niche industry, you can find somebody that has made well over a million dollars doing that exact same thing and multiple people who have failed doing what it is. It's not what you do. It's how you do it. And it is like you said, around the execution piece. I love that so much. And by the way, for our listeners share, when was the exit kind of give us a timeline of when that was, and then a little bit of kind of what you're doing now. Yeah. So the, we sold true local December 31st. It's the last day of the year, 2020. 
And then I obviously typically had two-year contract to help oversee the transition. We have a new CEO in place. So my contract actually just ended this past December. So December 31st, 2022. And really it's all about the book now. And you know, the book comes out in February, spent about a year writing it. Forbes is the publisher. And it's exciting, you know, first time I'm putting my own stuff out there. And I think like at the end of the day, I'm a 32 year old black guy who sold a company for $16 million and I came from no money. Like I have an interesting perspective and I feel like there's probably a lot of people out there that don't hear that side too often. So my hope is just that, you know, if any of my stories or anything might inspire you, or if you go in and you're like, I need to actually have some tangible tips and tricks to help grow my business. The hope is that the book is going to do that. And I do got to say too, one thing. So we started thinking about it. I grew up as a marketer. Like that's where I was at prior to True Local. And I always considered myself to be a marketer. So we really wanted to do something where it's, we know our audience. The audience for the book is first time founders exclusively. And first time doesn't mean that you're just getting started in your first business. To me, first time is it's prior to you getting your first big win. So you could be thinking about starting your company tomorrow or you can be seven years in the arena or the trenches waiting to get that win. You're a first time founder. This is for you. So I was trying to be like, okay, well, how are we going to market this book? And it's like, man, if I have to do, I don't want to be running paid advertising for a book, like all this type of stuff. And I'm not super present on social media. So I was like, well, what are we going to do? So we wanted to do like this awesome grant. We decided to put together this grant where it's like, let's just take the budget that we would put towards doing some sort of marketing. And let's see if we can partner with some people that, creates real value for first-time founders. And that's where the ultimate first-time founder business grant came from. Pretty much anybody between now and February 19th can go and submit a two-minute video as to who they are, what their business is, and how they would use $50,000 in agency credits. And that's everything from having an agency run your Facebook, Google ads, do creative for you. We've got an SEO agency involved. We've got a PR agency We've got a video creation studio. So all of this is all bundled and is going to go to a winner as part of the grant to help them grow their business. And I figured, you know what? That's something I can actually get behind and something I actually want to promote and something I actually want to pretty much show from the rooftops. So that's how we're promoting the book. That's awesome. That is awesome. I love the thinking outside the box. I mean, you are really a true entrepreneur. There's no doubt about it. Well, I can't wait to get my hands on the book. If people want to learn more about just your story specifically through the entire exit, I do encourage people to go listen to that Built to Sell episode because John does a great job of kind of detailing all of that. But when the book comes out, where can people go? Where can people submit for the video? Like, where would you point them to if they want to connect with you on social? Yeah, easiest thing, marklafleur.com, mark with a C. So marklafleur.com, you'll have everything there. So access to the book. The book comes out February 7th everywhere. So everything digitally will be on audiobook platforms, Audible. We're going to be in all the stores, you know, we're at the airports. So as soon as the book is out, it's going to be available. You can also order it and pre-order it through my website. And I'll give you a free copy of the audiobook if you order it through my website. And then all my socials are on there too. You can just kind of find me online and happy to connect. I always love talking to founders. So I always encourage, I'm not the kind of guy to really shy away from that. If you got something you want to talk about business or just want some advice or, you know, just want to hear more about my story, you could also catch me on Instagram. So it's dark mark underscore mark with a C and yeah, that's it. We'd love to hear from people. That's awesome. Mark, you've been a super great guest to have on. Appreciate you sharing our story and uh, pouring in the lives of other uh, business owners and founders. I appreciate you having me. 
What a great conversation with Mark. Learned so much from that. Hope that served all of you. One of the things that stood out to me is whenever he talked about hiring friends, as an example, to me, that's a good example is that people can get there different ways because he really believes in that. And some of you may have heard him say that and say, good gracious, I've gotten burned so many times by doing that. There's no way I would make that recommendation, but that's been his experience. And, you know, how could you argue that's his experience? And so those are some of the things that you can take those ideas and apply them to your business or not apply them to your business. There's just not one size fits all. I think also too, the second biggest thing that stood out to me was whenever he talked about mindset and I was genuinely curious about what his answer was going to be because, you know, he had some failures. I mean, he could have easily said, you know what, forget this. I'm just going to go get a job. And what is it that makes somebody that's an entrepreneur, business owner, founder to just have that grit to keep going? Because you get beat up so many times, don't you? I mean, this stuff is hard. It can be fun, obviously. It can be incredibly rewarding, fulfilling, fun. But building a business is not the easiest thing to do, any business for that matter, and let alone to have a $60 million exit. Good luck to Mark in the launch of his book that's coming up. And I know I'm going to be picking up a copy. Can't wait to get my hands on it. I love digging into books and podcasts like that. So make sure you go to Amazon and check out his book, True Founder. Hey, super grateful for all of you and grateful to our podcast sponsors, Club Capital, Direct Clicks, Autopilot Recruiting, and Coach P. I mentioned it every week, but those are fantastic people behind those organizations that do an incredible job to serve small business owners, in particular, many of them, insurance agency owners. If you're ready to take your agency to the next level, you know you need to have a better understanding of your financials, your marketing, where to put the marketing, how to get online. Reach out to Club Capital and Direct Clicks. If you know you need to be able to build a bench of A players, do it on a regular basis. It's time for you to start growing. You just lost someone this week or last week and you got to replace them. You realize, crap, I don't have a bench. Well, that's exactly where autopilot recruiting comes in is they, they can help you with that. If you don't have a need for somebody right now, that's the best time to be recruiting. But yet we don't do that, right? We say, ah, you know what? I'll just have to wait when the need comes. And then boom, you get hit with somebody leaving you versus being able to have a service, have a dedicated recruiter, tied to your business that gets to know you, your goals, the things that you're trying to accomplish and can help you to recruit in different ways. Go to autopilotrecruiting.com. And ultimately, you guys know I love David, but David does an awesome job. It's not just David does a good job in his business, but he also has a way in being able to share what he's doing at the highest level to help all of you. And I think that's really the key. So go to coachpconsulting.com. Appreciate. So grateful for their partnership so we can great being great guests like Mark on. All right. Till next episode, everyone. Lead well.